Number one, my journey is about my relationship to money. It's also about a paradigm of giving. And it's also an extraordinary bank of dummy tax. So my journey and my lessons today, I can't pay your state or, or federal taxes, but I will pay something far greater. I will pay your dummy tax for the next 45 minutes or so, or however long we have. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of the None of Your Business podcast. And as usual, this week, we have a super special treat for you. We are joined today by the one and only David Meltzer. Now, I have to share with you the formalities of who he is, but most of you already know. And I also want to say before I share um, his his bio with you, um, I've had the absolute honor and pleasure of getting to know uh, David Meltzer over the past several months. And this is an extraordinary human being with an incredible story. So I don't want to waste time just messing around here. Let's jump right into it. David Meltzer is the co-founder of Sports One Marketing and formerly served as CEO of the renowned Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment Agency, which was the inspiration for the movie Jerry Maguire. David has been recognized by Variety Magazine as their Sports Humanitarian of the Year and awarded the Ellis Island Medal of Honor. He is also the executive producer of the brand new Bloomberg and Amazon, Amazon Prime television series, The Two-Minute Drill. Oh man, some of you need to be applying to be on that one. He, his life mission is to empower over 1 billion people to be happy. This simple yet powerful mission has led him on an incredible journey to provide one thing, and that is value. In all of his content and communication, that's exactly what you'll receive. Today is no exception. As part of that mission for the past 20 years, he's been providing free weekly trainings to empower others, to empower others, to be happy. And he's with you today for free as well. Welcome in Dave Meltzer. What is up, my friend? Hey, I am so excited to be here. What a great introduction. I love, you're just awesome, man. I love your energy and I love how you can just articulate uh, that boring bio of mine into something exceptional. So thank you so much. <laughs> hey, I want to jump right into it. For anybody who's been um, living under the rock, maybe they don't have uh, Facebook or any other digital media. Um, tell us a little bit about your story because I want to start there because here's the gist of, of our podcast is we want to take super successful entrepreneurs like yourself and we want to learn from your life lessons, and we want to learn how we can apply them in our business. Everybody um, that listens to the podcast is a service provider, which means we have a big heart and passion for serving the world. But that also means that we're probably not the best business people because we tend to give more <laughs> than we should, and we have to oftentimes learn from the school of hard knocks. So to help to cut that learning curve down, it's easier to learn from someone else's school of hard knocks. And I know you won't mind me saying this. You've had your share of hard knocks in life. So let's start by just sharing a little bit about that journey, um, the highs and the lows and what you've learned from that. Absolutely. I love that because number one, my journey is about my relationship to money. It's also about a paradigm of giving. And it's also an extraordinary 
bank of dummy tax. So my journey and my lessons today, I can't pay your state or, or federal taxes, but I will pay something far greater. I will pay your dummy tax for the next 45 minutes or so, or however long we have. Um, my journey and relationship with money and paradigm of giving started when I was five years old. Uh, my dad left when I was five. I lived in Akron, Ohio. So my mom was left with six kids, single mom, second grade teacher, and value of money to me was it bought love or happiness because I grew up super happy. My mom was a hyper academic mom. I always joke around that she raised us, my siblings, incredible uh, Ivy Leaguers, summa cum laude from Harvard, Penn, and Columbia. But I was on a journey to make money. Money to me was something that could buy love or happiness. I wanted to buy my mom a house and a car. My mom worked two jobs. She was a second grade teacher, packed my dinner in a paper bag, filled up turnstiles at the convenience stores with greeting cards just so we could eat. And yet, like I said, I was super happy except for one time. And those times, one times, times where my mom uh, felt the financial stress. I catch her crying all the time. Car would break down, we couldn't afford it. Not enough money for food, uh, you know, let alone the scarce fear that we wouldn't be able to go to college, you know, which was terrifying to my mom because the fetus wasn't fully developed till after graduate school or we had grandchildren. I couldn't tell which one, but we, you know, so much financial stress in my five-year-old mind, my six-year-old mind, money was the cure. And so I took on the work ethic of my mother and unlike my siblings who are extremely well-trained and fit the mold uh, of my mom, meaning they were going to be doctors, lawyers, or failures, uh, I decided that I was just going to go after the money. Two things happened. One, it gave me a newfound ability to see things differently because my options were always open because unlike my siblings who had a direct path to their career set of doctor, lawyer, or failure, I was just looking for who would ever pay me the most to do whatever that was. Uh, but even though I ended up not being a professional football player like I thought I would when I went to college, but got ran over my freshman year by Christian Okoye, the nightmare, the Nigerian nightmare, they called him. But I ended up graduating law school, did very well, oil and gas litigator. But I had a second job offer because someone offered me more money than being a oil and gas litigator, which is the only reason I went to law school to be rich, to be an oil and gas litigator, which paid the most. I got offered a job in 1992 selling legal research on the internet. In 1992. Now, Sean's old enough to know what the internet looked like in 92. Uh, but more importantly, I went to my mom and I asked her what I should do. And without blinking, she said, David, you need to be a real lawyer. This internet, it's a fad. Don't do it. Don't get involved. You're going to lose all your money. You're going to ruin your career. Don't do it. And so number one lesson that I learned was just because someone loves me doesn't mean they give me good advice. Uh, and I think... In business, a lot of times, there's three things that we look at that destroy what we're doing. One, we go after what's missing. We focus in on what's missing, and we end up with more of what's missing. Uh, we also look at what we don't want, and we are victims to what we don't want, and then we end up with what we don't want. Or sometimes, and more popular, uh, is we take on what other people want for us, and we end up with what other people want for us. And we end up unhappy and resentful to the people that we call family and friends who only wanted the best for us, but it's not the best. It's what they want for the best of us. So I think it was very important in my 
career early on that I was going to follow what I wanted and vote for what I wanted. Anyway, nine months out of law school, millionaire, bought my mom the house in the car. Uh, three years later, the exit was 3.4 billion for West Publishing to Thompson. Uh, set my career in a different trajectory, went to Silicon Valley, raised hundreds of millions of dollars. By the time I was 30, everything in my life reaffirmed that money bought love and happiness. And so money uh, had uh, a role in my life. It was a currency. Um, I would buy things I didn't need. Uh, I would buy things to impress people, even people I didn't like. I had moved from a world of not enough where I was a victim. I'd always ask my mom, why do they have that? Why don't we, why me? And you know, living in that scarce world, I moved to this world that I call for me. Uh, it was a world for me. And the paradigm of giving, because I was a multimillionaire at a young age, was really important because I believe two things. Money buys, loves and happy, money buys love and happiness. And two, that the more you give, the more you receive. And you were talking about service providers and who these business people are in our audience. I think one of the detriments that we're taught as humanitarians, as philanthropists, as service providers, is that the more you give, the more you'll receive. It sounds great, but the problem is it doesn't take into account the second currency that exists outside of the realm of the currency of money and objective energy that we put into the flow to get what we want. There's a currency of faith. And I know it's counterintuitive to think that faith would have any other direction other than the more I give, the more I receive. But at 30 years old, that paradigm held true for me because I will tell you, I had everything I ever dreamed of. I even credited my wealth to getting my wife to marry me because I married my dream girl uh, when in the fourth grade I met her and she hated me. And my best friend, Rob, asked her to go study at sixth grade camp. So uh, embarrassed me and said, she said, no, tell her, tell him to ask me himself. And I threw an egg at her and she hated me. So in my mind, I thought the only way this unbelievable woman would marry me now was because the only difference is I wasn't better looking at 30. It had to be the money. Uh, and I remember waking up uh, in a brand new uh, custom home in Rancho Santa Fe, lying next to my dream girl. I had four cars, garage, Ferrari, Porsche. I had a golf course, a ski mountain. I owned 33 homes at the time. I could buy whatever, whenever I wanted. I was buying things uh, when I you know, didn't need, I didn't want to impress people I didn't like. But what I found was for the first time, I looked at the ceiling and I realized I wasn't happy. For the first time in my life, I wasn't, and I started to buy more things and different things. And it was, it was awful. And I tried to find things through drugs and alcohol. And, you know, I ended up, you know, being literally the CEO of Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment. At 30, I was also, by the way, I was CEO of the world's first smartphone for Samsung. So uh, in 1999, most people would know this, but smartphones were called convergence devices. Uh, the biggest one in the world was the PCE phone. It was a Windows CE device. It was a Microsoft device. And at 30, I was the CEO of that company. And I met Lee Steinberg, uh, who was the CEO, as you mentioned, of the most notable sports agency in the world. So not only did I have money in my early 30s, but I had access. I had access to every celebrity athlete, entertainer, millionaire, billionaire, everything from the Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, Masters, Kentucky Derby, Breeders' Cup, ESPYs, Emmys, Oscars, Grammys. It wouldn't matter. I could go VIP backstage around the who's who. 
and I had never been in a bigger spiral or more unhappy. Um, and Sean, you know, if we have time, I'd just give a quick story about the three things that changed my relationship with money and the paradigm shift that occurred. Absolutely. Uh, real quickly, at 30, before I had my great revelation, my father, who had been estranged in my life, gave me my first birthday present in 20 years. He had forgotten my birthday when I was 10. He lied to me and said he didn't forget my birthday. He lied to me and said he didn't believe in birthdays, even though he was giving my siblings presents, himself presents, his girlfriend who was younger than me, I felt like presents. I was like, you are a liar, a cheater, manipulator, overseller, backend seller, I hate you. But at 30, he gave me this beautiful sport coat and I started to cry when I put it on and my wife's like, why, what's the matter? I said, oh my God, my dad gets it. I'm gonna have a relationship with my father. Like, if I don't care if anyone has a close relationship or not, every son wants a relationship with their father, regardless of what they do to them. And I was cry like just crying and I opened it up to see if it said, you know, especially made for David Meltzer or Armani. It fits so perfectly, it was so beautiful. And when I opened it up, he had torn all the pockets out of it. I immediately went to rage. I was like, I hate him. I'm calling him. I called him up. I'm like, dad, why are you punishing me on my 30th birthday? Why are you punishing me? He said, whoa, 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 son. What are you talking about? I said, dad, you gave me a, a, a beautiful gift I can't even wear. He said, whoa, whoa, jacket's not for wearing. I said, what is it for? He said, because it's to remind you every day, hanging in your closet, that you're just like me. And I said, I'm nothing like you. You're a liar, a cheater, manipulator, overseller, backend seller. I hate you, dad. He said, son, son. He said, you're just like me. You think money buys you love and happiness. You think money is the end all. You define yourself by your bank account. You need to hang that jacket up. Remind yourself you can't take anything with you when you're gone, that you're not going to be the richest man in the cemetery, that money doesn't buy love or happiness. Please don't make the same mistakes as me. I, at 30 years old, I wasn't ready to hear it. The paradigm hadn't shifted. My relationship with money was too strong. I still had the Ferrari and the Porsche. So I hung up on him and told him I hated him. Six years later, my life would change for two things. One, I was running Lee Steinberg and I was invited uh, to the Masters, which we went to with Wayne Gretzky and Curtis Strange in the cabins. And so I wanted to invite my best friend, Rob, from the fourth grade, the guy at sixth grade camp who, who asked my wife to go steady and embarrass me. Anyway, I took Rob off golfing and I said, Rob, we can go to the Masters and do all these great things. And he looks at me and he said, I'm not going. I was like, what do you mean you're not going? He said, Dave, I don't like what you're doing and I don't like who you hang out with. I don't want to be around it. I said, well, come on, Rob, I'm not doing what those guys are doing. He said, Dave, you can lie to me, but don't lie to yourself. I'm not going. And I was crushed. I still get a little frog in my voice thinking how disappointed I was in myself that the guy who literally knew me the best wouldn't even go to a great event, the greatest sporting event in the world, by the way, with me. And two weeks later, my life would change forever because I was invited to the Grammy Awards to go with a great rapper, Little John. And I asked my wife, hey, can I go to the Grammys with John? And she said, you know what? I don't think so. You're not paying attention to business. You're not paying attention to your family. 
you are partying way too much. Why don't we stay home? And as a family, you know, we need a night. You, you can't keep running like this. I'm worried about you. So I lied to my wife. <laughs> I changed clothes in the car, told her I had a business meeting, and I went to the Grammy Awards where I ended up coming home at 5.30 in the morning, out of my mind drunk, and she was waiting for me. And that's when my life would change because she looked at me and she said, Dave, I'm not happy I'm leaving. Now, where my mindset was, I'm like, what the F are you talking about? You're not happy. Look around you. Who do you think built all this? What are you talking about? You have a nanny in the flat over there. You have cars, houses, boats, motorhomes, trips around the world. You, how dare you? You're not, how, how dare you treat me this way? She said, David, you need to take stock in who you are and what you want to become because I don't want to be around this. And two, you're going to end up dead. I told her to F off and I went to bed. I woke up in the morning, still in the scarce mindset, still with the same relationship with money and the paradigm of giving. And I was going to take her happiness away. I was going to get divorced. I was going to take her money. And I was going to find the best divorce lawyer I could. And I'm thinking on the bed who went to law school with me. What lawyers have I used? How can I take everything she has to make her unhappy? And then I looked over in the closet and there was that jacket. Man, I get choked up today. It stared at me. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie The Natural and the light comes down on the bat. And it's, I, I hadn't seen that jacket in years. And I don't know how sitting there, I saw that thing, but it, it was a calling to me. I wasn't a very religious person at all, but it literally stared at me. And I looked at it and I looked at it and I said, you know what? I don't hate my wife. I don't hate my life. And I don't hate my father. I hate myself. I'm a liar. I'm a cheater. I'm a manipulator. I'm an overseller and a back end seller. And all the money in the world is going to make me happy until I take stock in who I am and changing that. And so I sat down on my bed and took an outline of values that I wanted to live by. And every day I enjoyed the consistent, persistent pursuit of those values of my potential. And I worked with gratitude to have a better perspective of finding the light, the love, and the lessons and the mistakes that I've made. I live with forgiveness, forgiving myself so I could forgive other people. Most importantly, I live with accountability. Uh, I live below the line and blame, shame, and justification for so long that I forgot that I'm accountable for everything in my life and I need to learn lessons of how I attracted it to my life. And I truly started to live in spirit or inspired. Uh, clearing away the interference that I created between me and the most powerful source of light, love, and lessons. And blessed enough, I saved my family. Uh, took me two years, but I lost everything in those two years through my journey of revelation and re reformation. And I was more, I'm one of the few people to tell you, I bottomed out two years before I lost over $100 million. I was actually prepared for it. I don't see me, people ask, how do you do that? I said, first of all, I didn't lose over a hundred million. I invested it. I invested it in the new Dave. And the new Dave is a powerful Dave. It's the best investment I've ever made. If I'm not gonna invest in myself, what am I ever gonna invest in? I never think one penny was lost 
It was all invested in the new Dave, the one that lives with kindness, that lives with gratitude, forgiveness, and accountability and inspiration, the one that's on a mission to empower over a billion people to be happy, the one that's making more money than he ever has, helping more people than he ever dreamed of, and having more fun and is happier than he has ever imagined. And that journey, the shift of paradigm, is that I no longer give to receive. There's no trading, no negotiation. I simply receive with full confidence in a world of more than enough, in a world of more than enough of everything that I receive to come through me, not for me in the world of just enough or to me in the victim world of not enough, but through me for others with complete confidence. And that paradigm shift of giving went back to redefine Money does not buy happiness or love, but it allows you to shop. And if you shop for the right things, the things you don't need or the things to impress other people, but if you shop for the right things, villages in Africa, scholarships for kids, different medical needs or water, whatever it is that's important to you to help other people to come through you, I promise you one thing, make a lot of money, help a lot of people, have a lot of fun. Money will buy you happiness if you shop for the right things. And that's what I've learned to do. Um, super inspirational. Uh, I just have two thoughts. Well, I have a thought and a question, and then the question, the next question. The 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 thought is that you know, I don't know. Do you know Myron Golden? You know Myron? Sounds familiar. Yeah, Myron uh, does a speaking course. Um, um, he he's a phenomenal speaker, and he talks about the concept of how money is spiritual, because. Um, it's entirely faith-based because the 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 value that you assign to it, like what makes a one dollar bill more or less valuable than a ten dollar bill? They're both printed on the same paper. Um, so one's not really technically more valuable than the other, but society has assigned, but this is purely faith-based, right? So they, you know, this is an interesting concept that, you know, you 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 said, like, you know, well, maybe I wasn't spiritual at the time. But in a lot of sense, you were, because if you were building happiness through this faith-based platform, um, there was a strong belief in a, in a system, in a, in a thing that would, that would, and what you've done, you've managed to do is to shift the utilization of that um, to create a different end, right? It's, just, it's, a, it's a shift in your spirituality, really, um, through this opportunity of seeing your father's code, and it's absolutely beautiful. One thing I want to make sure everybody gets I, I, you said it, but I want to make sure everybody gets this. So you had your revelation and then to, started a two-year journey literally towards losing. So it's like you, you had a revelation that began a downward journey relative to your financial success, right? I, I think it couldn't stop the downward journey I was on. And, you know, when you talk about effects and causes – that you know, I was not paying attention to the causes that I was creating and that the effects, when you have that much money, take a long time to take effect. And so I don't think, you know, I wanna make sure I'm clear that, you know, the revelation caused the catalytic event that made me lose the money. I think I put into force <laughs> this, you know, terrible thing that was gonna happen. And because of my revelation, not only was I able to handle it, but come out the other side. I made my first million dollars not in nine months after bankruptcy. I made it in two weeks. Uh, I became laser focused on 
what I was doing, how I was doing it, taking inventory and who I was. And I created the five daily practices that I started utilizing over the last 16 years through meditation. I was clear, balanced and focused. I said to myself, I remember when I lost everything, uh, two things happened that was interesting. One, I walked in on my wife talking to her uncle who also had known me since I was nine. And my wife was crying. This is two years after, you know, I became a, a better husband and, you know, I was really working at everything to, to make sure that I was living my life the way way. But my wife was terrified. You know, literally imagine moving from your dream home into a rented house with rented furniture in one car. Uh, you know, she was terrified and she said, you know, I don't know. I'm so afraid. I'm not sure Dave can pull us out of this. We've lost everything. You know, I even lost my mom's house. I had to go tell my mom I forgot to take I forgot to take her, her house out of my name. So when I went bankrupt, I lost her house. So not only do you have to tell your mom you went bankrupt, but you're moving. That was a dream because she proved that she unconditionally loved me because all she said was, are you okay? Do you need money? I was blown away. I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> it's that easy? Sorry. Uh, but anyway, her uncle's in the kitchen with her and she's crying. You know, I'm so worried. I, and he looked at her and he said, you know what? I've known that kid since he was nine years old. And I tell you, I can't wait to see what he does with his back against the wall. That to me, man, I, like my mind, I'm like, he's right. He's right. Like I have everything. I, I had nothing when I graduated law school. You know what I had? I had no relationships. I had no situational knowledge. I had a law degree in, in maritime law and I had no big money behind me. I had a hundred thousand dollar loan for law school. And it took me nine months in 1993 to make a million dollars. How the heck with everything I learned, I was running the most notable sports agency in the world with every connection, every asset. I didn't have anything in the bank, but I didn't know anybody, anything either. How was I not going to make it again? And so, you know, that revelation took me to a trajectory of acceleration that I never, you know, believed I could have. And I've continued that momentum, you know, not just for a year, not just for nine years, but for 16 years. And it keeps exponentially growing. Uh, and I'm more importantly able to elevate other people, especially during the pandemic, to have the right mindset, the right heart set, and the right conscious continuum in order to effectuate what they want. So what are the daily practices that you have put in place to ensure that you never go back? Well, thank you for hitting that softball way out of the park, Sean. I appreciate it. <laughs> I love that question. <laughs> um, the five daily practices are how I'm going to empower over a billion people to be happy. Uh, so I've tried to make things as simple as I can. I call it, you need to know your what, know your who, know your how, know your now, and know your why. So knowing your what is the first practice. Most people are worried about their why. They don't think about the what. So I have people focus and take inventory every day on what do I want to have personally? What do I want to have experientially? What do I want to give to provide value of? And what do I want to receive? Which is the most challenging for most people. They don't feel worthy, they don't know how to ask, and they are afraid to receive. But with the paradigm shift of knowing you can't give what you don't have, and you're here to receive so you can give, through you instead of giving to receive as a negotiation or a trade, it's a completely different world. So know your what. Also, as a caveat to that, don't be afraid to be a hypocrite or change your mind. 
So many people think it's some great blessing that, you know, I'm not changing my mind. I'm right. I don't need to be right, offended, separate, inferior, resentful. No, no. I have the right to be radically humble and say, I don't know what I don't know. I'm not going to take myself so seriously. And I'm going to remind myself every day that I'm allowed to change my mind because I learned something yesterday, which means when I change my mind or I'm a hypocrite, that I'm growing, accelerating into a better place or a better position. Uh, Very important. Next, know your who. Knowing your who says this, I know what I want. Now who has it or who's where I want to be? Now I'm going to ask them for directions. Easiest way to get to where you want. That's the message of your show, right? To allow people to pay the situational knowledge or dummy tax so you don't have to. Get and find and know your your who and your what. Then my favorite is, of course, know your how. And as you know, Sean, I'm a big fan of being a student in my calendar. I am a freak about time. I believe linear time and man-made constructs of time screw up everybody. My tomorrow actually starts today. Being a student in my calendar, that means that you study, that you institute the mathematical equation of luck. What I pay attention to in my calendar, what I give intention to in my calendar, equals the coincidences in my life. The coincidences that occur that I want, people think you're lucky. It's a mathematical equation of luck. Utilize three lenses, a lens of productivity of how much service or value you can provide, a lens which is a bifocal of accessibility, how accessible am I to others, and how am I accessing what I want, and then of course the most powerful lens of gratitude that makes pain not a stop sign but an indicator that you have a lesson to learn, a better place to go, a better position. So the lens of gratitude allows us to learn to love everything we do. We don't have to love it, but we can learn to love it through gratitude to find the light, the love, and the lessons. Now, if you study what you have planned, what you don't have planned in your sleep, now I told you that my tomorrow starts today, I remove the man-made construct of time. And so my day starts at 9 p.m. That doesn't mean I wake up at 9 p.m. I have an unwinding routine that prepares myself for when the sun comes up so that I will be at my highest frequency. Most people, like Camus the Stranger, they live their life pushing a boulder all day long and night to the top of the hill, and they wake up in the morning, same place, bottom of the hill. Not me. Because my tomorrow starts today, I prepare by having an unwinding routine at 9 p.m. in order to put my body, mind, and soul in the right position to get full recovery of my body and to clear the interference subconsciously and unconsciously to this great source of power, light, and lessons for eight hours so that when I wake up, I'm at my highest frequency, not at the bottom of the hill. And then I can use that as a baseline, especially through meditation, to make sure that I stay at a plateau and grow stage that I don't accelerate in the wrong direction. And this is a powerful tool by being a student of your calendar and looking in studying what you have planned, what you don't have planned in your sleep. Now, the fourth one is fun. It's knowing your now. And in order to know your now, I use Roosevelt's matrix of importance. Uh, In order to know your now, what to do now, you need to know what's important to you because what happens is things happen. I always say, if you want to make God laugh, come up with a well-developed plan. So when things come up, that are outside of our normal routine, it falls into your adaptable routine or your prioritization of your values. All you have to do is say, can I do it now according to my values of importance? 
And if you can do it now, you do it. If you can't, you prioritize it by importance in your calendar later that day or the next day or the next week or the next month. But you, Roosevelt created a matrix of important versus urgency. Too many people get in their own way with an emotional respect or reaction to an urgent matter that has no importance to them at all, that they easily could have delegated or relegated to the future. So know your now. The reason is 100% of the things you do now get done. And the difference between successful people and other people is successful people get done. 100% of the things you do now get done. One of the only statistics that I know to be true. Now, finally, the fifth and most important daily practice is know your why. And the way that we know our why is the practice ending fear. Because remember what I said earlier, you are already healthy, wealthy, and happy. It is our journey to find what's interfering with our health, what's interfering with our wealth, what's interfering with our happiness. Are we eating wrong? Are we not exercising the body enough? Are we around the wrong people, the wrong ideas? What's interfering with what we already have? So fear is what interferes. And there's two types of fears. Everybody knows the Freudian primary fears of flight, feed, fight, or the other F word, which means procreate. But there's also secondary fears the need to be right, the need to be offended, the need to be separate, inferior, superior, anxious, frustrated, angry, uh, resentful, guilty. Do you know how much time, emotion, value, and relationships are ruined every day with just one of these needs? You know, think about how much time, emotion, money you've wasted with the need to be offended. One of the easiest needs to be fed. If we could feed the world as easy as offense could be fed, everybody would be fat. Trust me, there'd be plenty, plenty for everyone. So what do we do with this knowing our why? Four steps. One, identify what you're afraid of. Identify when you have a need to feel guilty, a need to feel anxious, frustrated, angry. Any of these feelings, once you identify it, instead of going in the natural course of ego, which is to accelerate in the wrong direction, to try to go over it, under it, through it, whatever, you know, you're going to resist it. And of course, you know what resist persists. Instead, stop. Stop. Just stop. And then breathe through your nose, out through your mouth, and drop down to that higher frequency, that baseline, that plateau that you started the day at. And then roll in the right direction. In other words, real simply to remember knowing your why, when you're in ego-based consciousness, your mind, body, and soul are on fire. Everybody knows when you're on fire, just stop, drop, and roll and you'll be much better off. So utilizing the five practices, knowing your what, knowing your who, knowing your how, knowing your now, and knowing your why, with the four basic values of gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration, we can create the necessary mindset, heart set, and conscious continuum that we can empower others to empower others to be happy. It's why I came on this show. It's why I love you, because I know that you, Sean, are one of the thousand in my life that will empower at least a thousand people to empower a thousand to be happy, a thousand times a thousands a million, a million times a thousands a billion. We together, all of us, can create a collective consciousness of abundance, happiness, where everybody makes a lot of money, helps a lot of people, and has a lot of fun.
Love it. I love it. Normally at this time we would bounce you over into Black Diamond Club. Let's stay here um, because we're in that same spirit of giving um, a couple quick questions. Obviously, everybody knows that we do um, our flagship event, Summer Camp, every single year in the summer um, in Indianapolis with an all-star lineup. We would love to have you come join us at Summer Camp. What do you say you, you come and drop some knowledge on all of the attendees there? Oh my God, what an honor that would be. I can't believe that. That'd be amazing. I would love to come. Anything I can do to be there, I will be there. Thank you so much uh, for inviting me and I gladly accept. That will be fantastic. We can't wait. If you had to start all over again, if something were to happen in, in, in life, what would be your first move? Ask for help. I would tell my 18-year-old, 28, 38, 48-year-old self, ask for help. Radical humility are the two words that sit on my nightstand. They sit on my screensaver. They sit in my wallet, reminding myself that I don't know that I do, what I don't know, that I don't take myself so seriously. And if I don't know what I don't know and I'm not taking myself seriously, the easiest way to get to where I want to be is to find someone that sits in the situation that I want to be in and ask them for help. And I hope that I can be that person for someone. I know you are that person for so many that you sit in that position and we both are here to be abundant and to help others, but you have to be able to ask for help. And it's the piece of advice Everyone should live with radical humility and we all can help each other live to our higher selves and really find and dwell on our superpowers instead of what we don't want, looking for what we don't want in others, finding the superpowers and utilizing those for the greater good. So I'm going to modify, I oftentimes ask these last two questions, I'm going to modify them directly to me because we've been working together for some time and and we've developed a relationship. So I'm going to ask them pointed at me rather than at the audience. What are the top three books you think I should be reading? Well, number one, for someone like you, The Course in Miracles. Uh, you know, I think it's a layer book. It's a journey book. It's a lifetime read that different layers and different understandings and lessons. Number two is my go-to, which I tell everyone, Think and Grow Rich. If you're not reading Think and Grow Rich every day, you're missing the point. It has more knowledge, situational knowledge than any other thing I've ever read. Uh, and then... The last book uh, I listened to, it's on Audible, but it's one of my favorites. I think it's the best mindset book out there, and that is The Power of Intention by Dr. Wayne Dyer. Uh, understanding the relativity of the law of gravity, the law of Goya, which is get off your ass, and the law of attraction, and how intention in our minds and the creative forces that exist through us and what we're connected to. It's the best description of that. And those are the three books that I think everyone determined upon where they are in their lives should read. I'm also going to say just real quick, you know, I'm a big believer in, in defining what you stand for um, and sharing that with the world. And you had said earlier, I just wanted to share because a lot of people probably heard me say this. Um, I always say, I, Sean Dill, stand for a world where health and success are known as fundamental truths rather than fundamental pursuits. And, you know, and, and and you mentioned that earlier, like that's the default. And then we have interference. So we are naturally healthy. Then we have interference to that causes us to acquire sickness. But we're also naturally wealthy and abundant as human beings. And then we find all of these reasons to cause interference to our birthright, to our natural abundant state. Um, I love that. Last question. Who are the top three people? This is on a public podcast here. Who are the top three people that you think I should meet? That are alive? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, <better life. laughs> no, serious, right? Because I mean, I, I know some dead ones I'd really like to meet too. <laughs> um, I, you know, for me, I think the people that are alive that you should meet, Deepak Chopra, uh, just an extraordinary human being, uh, combined with Joel Osteen, combined with President Obama. Those would be the three people uh, that you absolutely need to meet. Uh, I've been with all three. Two of them have been, you know, in interviews with me. I haven't reached the president uh, yet, but we went to the same college. So some, someday I'll get them on my podcast. Uh, but those are the three people that I think would change your life within minutes. Love it. I love it. David, thank you so much for being with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. We super appreciate you spending time with us. We appreciate you sharing your story. And we also super appreciate your, your vulnerability. We know that you are a person that is looked at by a lot of people. And for you to be so raw and authentic, I think it speaks volumes to who you are. Because a lot of times people will come on a podcast and make sure that it's all polished. And I don't want my voice to crack because I want to just promote my thing, my book or whatever. Um, we are also, I want to share with everybody that we are cooking up a couple collaborations together. We talk about collaboration all the time. And collaboration is key because it's not about winning. And as David explained, it's about finding a situation where all parties can win. Everybody involved, that's what actually defines a collaboration. Um, so we're gonna be working with David to make available to you um, group coaching opportunities with him, private coaching opportunities, which Lacey and I both do, which is unbelievable, hands down, unbelievable, has done so much for our lives and our business, and maybe a few other surprises along the way. Make sure you grab your tickets to summer camp, www.comedesummercamp.com. Um, after hearing him speak for this time, I'm sure that you understand the value that he'll be able to deliver to you from the stage in person right there in Indianapolis. But not only that, you will probably get the opportunity somewhere along that, that day or that weekend to bump into him outside in the hallway. And I gotta tell you, there is not a single other person that would headline and keynote an event that would be more accessible, more giving, and more sharing than David Meltzer. David, thank you so much for being with us. We super appreciate you and all that you are contributing to the world and humanity. Right back at you, my friend. What an extraordinary event, opportunity. And remember everyone, especially when you see me and in the, you know, be kind to your future self, do good deeds. I promise it'll change your life. I love it. All right, everybody. We'll be back again next week with a brand new episode of the None of Your Business podcast. I don't know how we're going to top this week, but we'll try. <laughs>